Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management archaeology and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 262, for April 19th, 2023. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk about how AI and machine learning is and will change the way we write and think about the past and whether or not that's a good idea. So prepare to bow down to your computer overlords because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today is Bill in California. Happy Easter. And also Andrew in California. How's it going, everybody? And I'm finally back in the United States. I'm in Southern Arizona. We're headed to the Grand Canyon today for the next week. And Wait, which, what part of Arizona are you in? I'm in Gila Bend right now, just for the night, ah. because we just we just came across, and then we're going up to the Grand Canyon this week, and then we're going down for another RVing event, just past Tucson in Sonoida. It's called yeah. Sonoida, yeah. So down in wine country, apparently, which I'm a little dubious about Arizona wine country, but we'll see. <laughs> you you should definitely be dubious about the wine country situation there, but I would say the now is the is an amazing time to go to Sonoida because all the migratory birds are going to be coming through, and so oh yeah. Like now it's going to be bird sighting paradise. That's a major corridor and you're going to be in a nice place where there's, you know, a lot of flowers and it's mm-hmm. probably going to be sunny and nice. And, you know, you'll be able to do all your bird watching that you that I know you love. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not all the time. I hardly get any work done. Yeah. So <laughs> well, down there, right. you're going to be like, oh, my God, like you're a dog or whatever, looking from side to side. Like, oh, my God, there's a bird. There's a bird. I know, I know. Oh, man. All right. Well, we've got a topic today, and it's Bill's turn for a topic. So, Bill, I'll just have you explain what we're talking about. Sure, sure. So, folks who have been paying attention, well, if you're in a university, you probably already have been hearing all about this, but folks who've been paying attention to these new AI developments might be noticing that there's a lot of conversation about AI creating articles and creating different writing and stuff. And so as someone who's working at a university, of course, our you know first few weeks of meetings were consumed with guidance on how to handle things like chat GPT and these other AI text conglomeration platforms. Like how do we handle that as an essay? Do we run it through these different other kinds of protocols to check and see whether it's been done by chat GBT or like, do we really care? Is it really writing if you've had AI help you build it? So folks who are not aware, I mean, I don't know all of the different coding stuff in the back end, but I guess we've gotten to a point where you can enter in different prompts and parameters into things like chat GPT which is a online text generator software and it'll scrape the internet and it can conjure up something that really mimics a you know pretty decent entry level archaeology or humanities essay right so mm-hmm. you know if if your instructor gives you this open prompt 
about, you know, give me a thing that connects, you know, structuralism with these different kind of uh, theorists and anthropology's history or whatever, you can type those prompts in there and it'll generate something with a thousand words or however many hundred words that it's got from just stuff from the internet, right? When when I saw you write this topic up, I was actually writing these show notes for and, and posting the last episode of the CRMR podcast where we had on Andrew's former student and... I was like, I went into chat GPT because I've been hearing a lot about it. And one of my coworkers was just telling me she was using it to help write video scripts for the software that we both work with. And, and I went over there and I said, write up podcast show notes uh, regarding a, a former student, a former student's field school experience in Scotland. And I tell you what, I almost used the paragraph that that thing yeah. put together because it was way better than anything I could have come up with. It wasn't yeah. quite right because it, it sort of did it as a conversation and not as a descriptive paragraph. So, you know, I didn't end up keeping it, but it was eerie how good it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was really crazy. Yeah, I mean, yes. And so the thing, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, you give it the parameters, you tell it what you'd like it to create, and it just creates a pretty decent, you know, the the grammar is decent, the the content is pretty good, and it's it's passable, right? And so, you know, the biggest concern in academia is are students going to be able to crank out essays and hand them in? And like the reality is, seriously, if you're an overworked instructor and you're giving folks quite generic writing prompts with, you know, a wide universe of responses. Yeah. Chat GPT can totally game your thing. It can make someone write out something like, you know, archeological sites associated with George Washington and their connection to constitutionalism. It can make a pretty good essay if that's the the level of what you're doing. Right. So, mm-hmm. so there is a concern there and, you know, I, I'm like on the fence about it. Right. Because just like you said, it created a pretty good show notes thing. And if I had like a, you know, English 100 assignment and someone cranked one out, like, you know, seriously, my assignment is actually not that difficult if a machine can, you know, easily create it. Right. But if we're here in 2023 and people can get passable essays off the internet through a software in 2043, the thing is going to be way better. (laughs) Right. Oh, yeah. Now, Here's a question for you. I want to know how these conversations are going at the university, maybe behind, you know, closed doors and with a couple of beers, not formal conversations, because what I want to know is how do you think you guys are going to pivot on this? And what I mean by that is nobody takes typing classes anymore, right? Like when yeah. computers were, were coming into every, every house, you know, kids were starting to take typing classes where back in the, you know, the early eighties, the seventies, the sixties, the fifties, it was typically women who were going to be secretaries that were taking typing classes, right? Yeah. People who were typing up stuff in those big typing farms. They were the only ones doing that. And then when computers started becoming more ubiquitous, I remember using Mavis Beacon Teaches Typing back yeah, in the 80s. Exactly. I took typing yeah. in middle school. Yeah, exactly. Nobody takes typing anymore because kids already know how to type or they can just do it with their thumbs by the time they get to school. And nobody cares as long as you can do the output. Well, now they take it in like third grade, though, Chris. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like well, you just accelerated it. Yeah, like that's <laughs> something to get like a third grader because they're doing all their work on their laptop, their Chromebook anyway. So, sure. yeah, yeah, they take typing when they're like, you know, seven. But that's my point. We've kind of pivoted that way a little bit to just understanding that, okay, this is a given. You need to know how to do this. It's not optional anymore. And and people are going to figure it out, right? It's just it's yeah. just one of those things. Well, I mean, back before chat GPT and AI and things like that, it was also okay for professors to just kind of, I don't want to say phone it in, but to say, hey, write up an essay like this, which tests writing skills, test your critical thinking skills, test your researching skills, test all those sorts of things. But 
maybe we should pivot back to just taking tests in class. You know what I mean? Uh, at the well, college level, because I mean, that's I, real. I think that, uh, well, so I, I have a couple things to say about all this. Cause I don't, I don't know about the, like, I'm not going to, my department is, is on the fence, right? To me, I'm not on the fence. I'm like, okay, so how can I just integrate chat GPT into my class? Right? Like, yeah. how can I get it in there? If they're going to make some kind of rule that says anyone who uses any kind of word processing software is a villain, then all the people who are using Grammarly, all the other people who are using other stuff to screen through their writing that they're creating, they're going to get in trouble, right? And then second of all, like the temptation is just so great that, it, I mean, it's just really hard when you've got all these classes, people are asking you to write all these essays and stuff like that. I can absolutely see how, you know, there would be a lot of folks who just, they want to, you know, phone it in, they want to get something created and, and get it going. And mm-hmm. then the third thing is, uh, as we're going to talk about, this is going to be what they're going to do. If you're doing coding, it's crazy for you to be doing it all by hand when a software can create like 90% of it and you just got to tweak it. And I guarantee you most employers are trying to figure out how can they either use ChatGPT or make something similar, use the code from that to work in their company, right? And, And what I envision is companies that have been around a long time that have a bunch of digital files that have reports can totally put all those things in there and make a chat GPT like code and then have it scrape and create the the boilerplate for every project. And so if you're a company and you've already like, we're already doing all this stuff on computers. They've been doing it for 30 something years on computers. They've got digital files of all the text that this company has written it's all already in their thing. It's not very hard for them to take some form of software to create something that will scrape and make the boilerplate and almost, you know, 80% of what you need for your report. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I want to talk more about CRM reports and maybe writing articles and stuff in the next segment, but let's stick to college and, and grad school and things like that, because that's where this all starts, right? All these students that are coming in that are more tech savvy than people in the past, because that's how it works. You know, the, the younger generation is always more tech savvy and they're going to be the ones that are exploiting this. And then therefore using that in their CRM careers or their academic careers moving forward. So, yeah, totally. Andrew and Doug, I don't know which one you had your hand up first, so who wants yeah. to go? <laughs> Sounds like Andrew. I'll just talk for a minute just because of the whole college thing. I agree with you, Chris, in terms of having tests and that kind of stuff on ground. Again, as I think everyone here knows, I just hate all online teaching. I think it's just awful. I think it's just like it has nothing to do with reality and nobody <laughs> learns jack. So in terms of bringing the tests and, and even if you have to write like an essay in class, like that's that's cool. And, and I give people yeah. a break in terms of grammar and stuff. If you're under the gun, you know, taking a test live. But on the flip side, the chat GPT thing, it does bum me out because I, I do ultimately want my students to learn how to write. You know what I mean? Sure. It's not so much about like, oh, my God, you forgot your fourth reference. But you need to know those nuts and bolts of writing. So I, I don't like having chat GPT in the university system. I get for later. I get the stuff that we'll talk about later. But I don't like having it in there. And I will say, I think I've gotten some stuff that was done by ChatGPT. And Chris, you're right about how good it is overall. But I will add, like, if it's writing something that you really know about, like, oh, the ancient Maya cenotes. Every time I get one of those, it feels like I'm drinking Diet Coke. Meaning there's an (laughs) aftertaste where I'm like, wait, this is, wait, what is this? And and it just... It feels odd. I think Bill's right that, ooh, 20 years from now, they're going to get rid of the aftertaste, dude. But 
for well, yeah. now. Yeah. You know, for now, I, I don't like it. And here's the thing I was going with with the typing earlier, and then we'll get to Doug's comment. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was mentioning, we don't necessarily, you know, teach typing in the way that we did before because it's more expected. And along the same lines of, you know, one of the things we've always talked about when anybody ever says, oh, you know, we've had the the episode with you, Andrew, just a few months ago that was, what should I be teaching my kids? And, and, and Heather and everybody always says, oh, they need better writing skills. They need better, you know, and mm-hmm. they need to be able to write, need to be able to write, need to be able to write. But I'm like do they now? Right. They need to be able to put better inputs into the AI and, and, and tell it how to write better because ultimately it's going to be quicker. And, and that's, what's going to be the driving factor in CRM anyway. Yeah. But in these, these 20 years, next 20 years or so, they're still going to need to know how to write and they're still going to need all to know all the rules of grammar and logic and all that other stuff to even get, the I just don't know. It out. Yeah. I, I do think they're going to, they're going to need machines to have gonna a command of technical language to make sure that it even works, right? To get rid of that aftertaste like Andrew's talking about. <laughs> right, right. Bill's totally right too about the logic aspect, that like how it flows, sure. like how a human will understand it. That's the, I think that's the aftertaste part. Right. Well, I think the machine learning is gonna solve that for itself the more that it gets to learn. Doug, you still have a comment? Man, I have like a couple <laughs> of comments. Uh, I'm just gonna be throwing grenades <laughs> left and right here. Uh, what is like a huge pet peeve about like the whole younger generation is uh, more technically capable. I, I, no, no. The younger generation knows how to swipe because they grew yeah. up swiping and that's it. No, no. Like, like all technical stuff. It's actually a really good job by UX designers. And basically like everyone thinks like, Oh my God, cause they can use a smartphone that, you know, several billion dollars has been spent on to make it the one of the most usable things out there that somehow that makes them tech savvy. But like, honestly, no generation, it's all roughly the same. Like most people know how to push buttons, but like, if you ask them like any of the underlying code or, you know, how, Mm -hmm. how it works, uh, guaranteed every generation, you basically have the same number of people who know how the underlying bit of machinery, if we want to call it, or code works, but for the most part, not even close. Like it's, it's, it's a mirage just because they've grown up swiping and people assume that swiping means you're tech savvy and it does not. Let's qualify that then. Let's do these one point at a time, right, Doug? So, and then we'll probably take a break after this. But I I guess when I say tech savvy, I I mean, you're right. I don't mean they know the back end because it's like cars. There's very few people that will open the hood of a car these days and know what they're looking at versus 20 years ago, right? That's just, people just expect to know how it is because designers and engineers are getting way better at making these things more reliable and you don't have to know as much like that. It's the same thing with apps and computers. If your computer breaks 25 years ago, you'd open it up and and figure out what component is bad and buy a new component. Now you just throw it in the trash and buy a new one, right? Like it's just, that's how it's getting, right? So I totally agree with that. But I feel like the younger generation is always trying to pivot to the new thing, right? They're pivoting to the new thing, which doesn't make them more tech savvy, but it makes them more on the cutting edge of things like chat GPT, like finding easier ways to do stuff rather than the old way that everybody always does it. They're going to like, I'm going to find a new way to do this and see if it's better. It may not be, but I feel like they're, they're always going in that direction. You know what I mean? Well, I would I would say laziness runs well through all generations. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> yeah. Like honestly, like actually, the only people I know who's who's using Chat, uh, all the well, 
so you guys can't see this because we're on a podcast, but I'm doing air quotes for artificial intelligence. It's machine learning. Everyone who's using the machine learning stuff, it's all ages. And actually, I haven't seen anyone really young using it. It's all been older people I've seen having a blast. And uh, also like people who just get tired of writing emails so that they've just used it to make prompts of like, here, mm-hmm. I want to say an email on this. Please write me something to save right. me a whole two minutes. I want to give people a chance to comment on what you're about to say. So let's take a break real quick and then we will come back and I'll open with you. All right. Back in a minute. Hey, Archaeology Podcast fans. Anyone that's heard me on a show has likely heard me mention coffee one or probably a thousand times. Coffee, however awesome it is, has some downsides and should be consumed in moderation. That's why we partnered with Laird Superfoods. They've got lots of stuff, but their coffee and coffee creamers have been engineered to taste better, provide functional benefits, and don't contain any refined sugars. So are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to LairdSuperfood.com and add nourishing plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code ARCPODNETFEED at checkout and save 15% on your purchase today. You can also click the link in your show notes. Welcome back to the CRM Arc Podcast, episode 262, the all-robot edition. And because none of us are real, this is all just a simulation. And. (laughs) we're in the matrix we're in the truman show call it what you will but this is all fake but doug you were about to have a comment at the end of the last segment go ahead so i don't know like i'm gonna be like heavily down on this whole like machine learning stuff like the the whole chat bot and whatnot i honestly think it's i've seen so many things and so much hype about it but i honestly think that anything good out of it is going to be offset easily by all the bad. Um, and it's, it's going to be a, a, a more of a negative, a, a, a net negative than anything else. But also like, you could have said that about so the like internet. Your, what? I, I, I didn't say that. About yeah, the internet, I, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know, that's, uh, that's, we're still, we're still, the, the jury's still out on that, but uh <laughs> It might be a net negative there. Nah. Uh, where I was going with this is like, like so I know people are saying things like, oh, you can write all this code and stuff, but you actually can't. Like, you if you try to do it, the one thing it can't do, and this is because of how it's actually designed. Like, amazingly, they actually put out a paper on how they designed everything, how it works. And it, it's amazing, like, Sorry, this is going to be a couple of points. I'll, I'll try to make them quick. One is like, we shouldn't call it AI because it's not AI. It's not artificial intelligence. It's machine learning. And by calling it artificial intelligence, we're making it sound a lot smarter and a lot more magical than it really is. It's why it fails so horribly when it actually writes like essays because it makes up all the references. And that's by design. Like it, it can never not do that. Like it, it, there's no way it's never not going to be able to make up random references, which is why it usually fails. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with code is you can maybe get it to write like a small function and then you could string together a series of small functions and that, that can help, but like you cannot, it cannot write actual code. It cannot write a program. It cannot write an app Mm -hmm. unless you actually already know what you want it to do. And you have to give it tons upon tons of detailed uh, instructions. And the thing about code is, Code is not just about writing code. It's about testing code. It's about fixing all the problems. Like, God, 98% of coding is about literally fixing errors. And it can't do that. It can't figure out what mistake has been made. 
and it can't adapt code. So it's it's pretty much actually pretty useless. I think so there's a bunch of different ones out there and Microsoft GitHub's their whole extra code helper or whatever they call it. At the end of the day, I think they found it basically 7% improvement. Like that was it in terms of, you know, all those great things for coders. It sped up their work by 7% and it, that paper didn't even take into account of like how many errors and like that's going to cause and how many people are going to make mistakes that are going to cost companies, I don't know, how many billions, trillions and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So like I am very much down on it. And like I think there's a lot of hype saying things like 90% of they could do like 90% of coding. No, like it, field testing, it slightly helps people who already know how to code. But like an average person is not going to be able to write an app by um, using any of these programs. All right, Doug, time for comments on that because I, I'm not sure, well, I agree with you right now, right? But what I think what we're really talking about here and the whole point of machine learning is that it learns faster than anything else can, right? Because it takes in so many different sources. It learns when, when we tell it, nope, that's wrong, try this one, and then you get it right, then it learns that, right? It learns preferences, it learns that, that human element that that it needs to have to be to be real to be to do good UI UX design right and, and it needs to do that stuff, but there's you know when you're talking about coding, I mean most developers right they don't even they they might code they code those little special things and they and they put the big blocks together but I know plenty of developers that just have a code library they say I need to do this thing so I'm going to take this chunk and I'm going to drop it right here and then modify it for my own purposes right so they're already doing a sort of plug and play sort of thing for the most part until it gets really technical and then they're doing the fine the fine details and stuff like that but there's no reason why an AI or or some sort of intelligence or automated program in one way or another can't do that there's programs out there right now that if you want an app for your event or something like that it's plug and play you just plug in the details and all of a sudden you have an app that you can actually download from the app store for your event and you didn't code anything right and that's just a human doing that if i can just tell a computer here's my event here's the kind of things i want to do here's the schedule build me an app that i think we're there right it wouldn't be super awesome it's not going to win app of the year but it's there but the point is in five years six seven eight years ten years it is going to be there and you're going to be able to say, Hey, I want an app to be able to do this. Is that possible? And the thing's going to say, Nope, it's not possible right now. Or yes, it is. Here it is done. Bam. There you go. Nobody's going to be selling and creating apps anymore at a certain point in time. I fully believe that. I'm not like all for the robot revolution, uh, <laughs> you know, the Android revolution, but I'm just a realist. Things get smarter and faster exponentially. And the more data we give it, and we're giving it the data of the world, you know, all these things are connected to the internet. So we're giving it everyone's data, everyone's thoughts, everyone's feelings, everyone's Facebook posts and, and tweets and all that stuff. It might end up being a total moron if it's reading Twitter, but that, <laughs> that being said, you know, it, it's it's smart as what we feed it and we're feeding it literally everything you know we're talking about things as they are you know they're going to be in the future and everything and how they are right now but i still think that there's a pathway for a company or a series of companies or a state historic preservation office to seriously find some kind of a way to use the database of things that they have to automate and really crank things out and you know one thing that i'm really thinking here is the state of Washington has all their site files and everything online. And if you've registered your 
you know, background and everything, you pass the test, you're a professional archaeologist and you have access to that website, you can you can put your GIS polygons into that and show the project area and then have it project where all the sites and all the previous projects are within, you know, one mile or whatever. Mm -hmm. And many of those records, especially if they've been written in the last, you know, 30 years or so, they're already PDFs or digital files that you can then click on the reports that are relevant reports and get all those. So, I mean, I think everybody can see where I'm going with this. If you had a long pipeline or you had some building in downtown Tacoma or something like that, and there was all these historic properties, one super easy thing to do would be to just aggregate all those reports and everything together and then have some kind of chat GBT software scrape those reports that are within that boundaries. Like we keep talking about the the writing thing. Chat GPT is just out in the open internet ocean, like trying to create things. And, you know, like Doug was commenting, it, it makes its own citations up and we don't actually really know all the places that it's getting all the knowledge that it's got. And so it's a good place for students or other folks to start off at that point and use that as the the knowledge. But what if it did just go ahead and tell you what reports it was getting it from, where it's getting this culture history, where it's getting that summary of all the, you know, previous projects, where it's getting that summary of, you know, relevant sites, even creating tables and breaking them down by, you know, year. That's the kind of stuff a lot of times that we have field techs or early career, you know, MA graduates or folks that are really starting off. They're the ones who read all those reports and they create all those tables and make those historical contexts and backgrounds and all those different things. You know, I'm, I'm concerned about that being an absolute possibility, especially since I was at the SAA and I saw that there's one company that has just grown to cover like all of the West and the Midwest. And they're the biggest company in CRM that we've ever seen, you know, and it's a company that's always thinking about tech, specifically how can they reduce labor with tech? They've, they've been at the front of recording things on tablets and finding different kinds of ways to synchronize the recordation of things in the field with folks back at home. I can see how this would just be yet another tool that would then create a situation where there's like perpetual techs who never learn how to do those tables and that entry-level writing, perpetual crew chiefs who never learn how to do the writing and never learn how to move up to PI. And then PI is like, what are they good for when you can just have chat GPT write the next scope of work and contract and all that stuff? So one of my favorite sort of like fun statistics is that in the UK, 10 years ago, there were more automatic car washes than there are today. As in, we're going backwards and hiring more people to do car washing. Car washers, people are taking the jobs of machines at the moment. <laughs> and it's true. It's, it's like, so everyone's talking about all these amazing things that could happen. But then like, when you break it down, machine learning is not cheap. And like, there's this idea that like, somehow it might eventually become cheap but honestly like what's probably going to happen is it's going to hurt people's wages but we're still going to have people do things because it'll still be cheaper to have a person do something than to spend you know the millions it requires to go through and it's probably gonna have like a minimal effect so like we're talking like there are already websites so what you're discussing bill about like uploading all of the field reports and then getting a field report back there's already a, a site that does that for like grant writing for 
you know, if you're a nonprofit or I guess if anyone who wants to do any sort of grant writing, like you, you upload a bunch of its grants and then it, it'll spew back a bunch of boilerplate for you. But like, the problem is, is like, it's only as good as the data you're putting in there. And so like, you're gonna have a limited number of reports and like things change. So like, you know, if you put in all the reports, you're going to get things talking about like, you know, the, the Navajo savages and like, I, I wish I was joking or kidding, but like yeah. there's reports from the 1950s, like archaeological and anthropology reports that like, I'm just like, oh my God, it's like 1950s Disney racist level yeah. of like stuff. And like, and we're constantly changing. So sorry guys, this is going to be like a little sci-fi, but like, you know, depending on like what time traveling sci-fi TV show or, or movie you're watching, there's like a theory that basically you can't go back further than the furthest you've gone back with time travel because then you start to create paradoxes and potentially we might like all this machine learning might end at 2022. Like as people start to use it to like populate websites and stuff, cause you can, you can look up and see what they used and basically 80 some percent of it is the internet. Like it was the top links on Reddit and then a search engine that crawled a bunch of the web. It's most everything. Wikipedia is like 2%. And then there's like two databases of books that are like at 8% or something, but almost all of it's the internet. But as soon as people start using this and putting it out there, it's going to become circular and it's just basically going to destroy everything. So like, honestly, as it's currently put together, the machine learning that everyone's really like in awe about, one is I would call it more of a parlor trick than anything else. But two, it's like it might be broken. Like it may be able to give you an answer as long as that answer is before 2022, because after that, the internet's going to be flooded with all these machine learning. And it is, it's going to be like people are going to plug it in to mass produce web websites and then they're just not going to know what is right or what is just random good sounding things, but completely factually incorrect. I, I think what we're talking about is like, and this is not to sneeze at, but like when we're talking about like improving work, we're talking like, all right, so a report, we, we, we think a report is a lot of work, but actually if you do the budget, like the actual write up of the report, the part that like you could put into chat, you know, whatever, or, or the Bard or, you know, whoever's AI you have, that part of actually doing the report is minuscule. It's actually like going out, doing the excavation, doing the survey, you know, actually putting that into a data that the machine could then read off. Like that's where all the work comes in that like, we're talking like such a minor bit of our work that might be slightly improved that I think it's, it's going to be a huge deal but in the end, I suspect possibly wages might not go up that much because it'll be held down, but that we're still going to have about the same amount of people doing the work and we'll probably be taking some jobs from machines soon. I think, man, I really just don't believe any of this that you're saying, Doug. I think you're completely way off base. And I'll tell you why, because history tells us technology, engineering, everything goes through growing pains, right? There's always, you know, missteps and there's always, you know, paths we went down that maybe we shouldn't have gone down. And then people realize that or they don't. And then another path goes down. There's enough people doing this. There's enough companies trying to figure these things out that, you know, somebody's going to get it what we'll call right for now, which may not be right. Right. And, and, and we're going to go on down the line, but I'm trying to think 
way further down the line. Like who cares if if some sort of machine learning algorithm is writing your site reports right now? I'm envisioning a future where we don't need stupid site reports. All we care about is the data and the analysis of the data and the trends and what that tells us about history. Site reports are stupid and nobody reads them. We've said that so many times over and over again. There are millions of site reports sitting in, in offices of state historic preservation societies and BLM offices and forest service offices and all over the place that literally nobody's ever read and nobody's ever going I to read, read them. That's my right? bedtime reading. No, but you don't, you don't even read the whole thing. You, you read the executive summary or you read the, the conclusions like everybody else does. And nobody well, gets in and reads. I look at the pictures the map, the pictures. <laughs> yeah, I do that exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. feel like a, picture, a good picture book. I know. That's my point, though, is that it's just like, do we even need that? I'm looking towards a future where where the humans are allowed to do the the high level thinking and the and the really the the big picture kind of stuff that is really going to be difficult for for machine learning. I'm not going to say impossible, but it's going to be difficult for computer programs to be able to do that right for for a really long time. Again, I think they're going to get there. And then really, what are we for? But that's a that's a question for hopefully a long time from now. But anyway, let's take our last break and then we'll we'll come back and argue about this on the other side <laughs> no i have one thing to say and that's and that's okay. this but there is no future chris according to doug <laughs> skynet achieves consciousness in 2022 wake up <laughs> right all right with that we'll see you on the other side all right welcome back to the Mark podcast episode 262 and i don't know i just ended my little rant at the end of the last segment so i don't know who's up now bill <laughs> Well, you know, the thing I want to talk about is folks who do have the belief, right? Like, you know, we're, we're talking about all these different kinds of scenarios where reports are writing themselves or, you know, clients can just pay one of us to give our certifications to the state and then click in and just get a map of every single site and every single thing that's nearby. And then they don't really need, you know, they just need us to go out there and check. And then Doug's mentioning probably the most pragmatic and probable approach that humans are cheaper than software and we'll just continue using humans either until they break or just stop doing the job. I mean, that's that's kind of where CRMs are at right now, where we can't find humans who will work for the low enough wages. And so now they're telling me that I need to train more people because they broke them all and didn't pay them. But, the mm -hmm. you know, I, I'd like to ask the question of what about all the folks who are trying to make it work, Right. So what about all the folks that do believe that their essay is good, that they've conjured out of the internet? Or what about the companies that do think this is a passable report in actual archaeological science because they just cut and paste it? I mean, we've we've covered boilerplate before on this show, show, you know, and folks who don't know, companies don't write all their reports. They just cut and paste sentences and paragraphs and sometimes entire sections from previous reports. And they only update them based on like what few articles that person has had time to read or other things that they've figured out from other sites. But in general, it's really all just kind of cut and pasted. And that's going from their compliance reports to the proposals to your contract that you got hired, if you even signed one. I mean, all that stuff the company already has. So, you know, if someone can use the computer and save 7% more, I can see how that would be a thing. But, you know, what do we do about folks who believe that this is the future and start raking the internet and this is just what they're doing? This is how they're doing archaeology. I mean, not for archaeology, but we're already seeing it in pseudo-archaeology. Like, literally, just the other day, someone did a whole thread on Twitter about how basically... You guys probably have seen these, but there'll be like accounts where people will basically just choose a topic 
pump out a bunch of stuff that's basically tailored to that social media platform, get hundreds of thousands of followers, and then basically sell on the account. And they usually, if it, if it has to do with like archaeology, it usually ends up being like a lot of aliens, a lot of Atlantis, but that's because that's, that's what sells and stuff. And so it just ends up being pretty shit. But you're already seeing that where basically people have cr- started to create like Facebook groups or you know, pages and stuff, and they're pumping out an incredible amount of fake crap. Like they're just making up images that are just complete bonkers and people are just absolutely eating it up because you can make some pretty crazy uh, generated photos there that I think they still look like basically Photoshop crap. But I honestly have seen things in the past where I've it's like incredibly obvious that it's Photoshopped and people be like, no, no, it's real. I'm like, dude, the shadows, the shadows aren't even like in the same direction. Like you could tell that it's Photoshopped just off of that. Also, it looks like the wrong pixels, the wrong colors. It's just so obvious, but like people can't see it. And you're already seeing this, this this deluge of crap out there. And this is what I'm thinking. Like a lot of it's probably going to be more negative than positive. So yeah, maybe we, we shave off like, 0.05% of our budget by being a little quicker on writing our reports. But honestly, like, unless you're having someone check that report, it's going to be crap. It's going to be the same thing. We're just going to put out a lot more crap instead of quality. And I I think it's going to be the same. Like, I mean, now it's obviously the examples I've just given are are people who are out there to make money and, you know, do a poor job. I don't think a lot of archaeologists are out there to do that, but I don't see this going anywhere well. And this goes back to Chris's thing. I agree with Chris that, like, actually, honestly, we probably don't need a lot of reports. Like, a lot of our reports is we basically take the data and then we put it into somewhat of a narrative. But it's really one of the most – okay, I'm probably – I think I'm not going to insult anyone this, but, like, it's really boring. (laughs) It's it's like – it's like, oh, and then we – and then we dug, you know, 10 (laughs) centimeters down – and then we dug another 10 centimeters down and then we dug another 10 centimeters down and like trying, I've, I've gone through reports and like trying to make a report sound halfway, not repetitive, not boring is, is, is a bit brutal, but it's because we're just putting data and trying to add like a narrative to what is that? I agree. Like we could, there are better ways to do things. I just don't see this machine learning being able to do like, Honestly, getting rid of reports is something we could do without machine learning. I think we should. Well, reports in the sense of we have these big narrative things where we could just put the data there. I think you know there are better ways of doing it now without machine learning. I, I just see machine learning helping us keep putting out the same old things that are not the highest quality. I think it could probably be a crutch. It'll keep yeah. us doing the, the wrong things instead of the right things. Well, and, you know, I I agree with a lot of what you said. Some of those structures on the repetitiveness are because, you know, the State Historic Preservation Office and the, you know, Advisory Council, we have to have X amount of sections in a report, like they have to have these sections. And every ship was telling you the report guidelines. And we're trying to make it interesting. You're right. But I mean, walking next to your buddy 30 feet apart across the forest and digging a hole every, you know, 30 feet or you know, 90 feet. That's how creative do you really make that? But I'm kind of concerned with some of the stuff like what Chris was saying, how many of our clients think that just doing this is good enough, right? Like how many of our clients think that just scraping the database and getting a map 
and making some tables is good enough. And in that case, they really only need like one RPA, right? Because they can just, you know, scrape and do the class one and be like, oh, heck, I guess we do actually have to do probes. Oh, never mind. Let's just change the project area. And so now that site's nowhere near there. Therefore, nothing's done. And, you know, we can just do some kind of windshield survey. I mean, how many of our clients could possibly get savvy and think that just making crap and putting it out there with a map and some tables is good enough? I mean, you kind of say mm-hmm. it like that doesn't already happen. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, like, with me, Doug, it does not ever happen in my office. <laughs> no, seriously, I was fortunate. I was fortunate enough to work with folks who valued the quality of the writing, and they valued. They were like, "This is all the archaeology we get to do, so let's make it good." And so they did want us to learn how to write, and they didn't want us to scrape and do crap. And even the boilerplate, they were like, well, don't just assume straight up that something that was written 15 years ago about this town, you still have to go to the library. You still have to find resources and try to figure things out. Like, we can't just only accept this as what's going on. And so, you know, I came through several companies that that was, they did want it to be better and they didn't want us to do something like chat GPT. I think that's the thing is like, it's amazing how much good archaeology that happens Okay, my wording here is going to be a bit iffy, and I realize someone's going to rip me a new one in the comments. But, like, we do a lot of good archaeology that technically we don't have to do. And that's because, like, most people that go into archaeology want to do good archaeology. So, like, if you look at, like, all the regulations across almost, like, every country, and, like, if if people follow just to the, the letter of the law, and some people do, and you get some real crap out there, but, like... If we did it, it would all be real crap. It's amazing. Like, legally, like, yeah, okay, some shippers will come back or in the UK, you know, council archaeologists and they'll be like, actually, we need better, you know, higher quality of this, this, and this. But honestly, like, if push came to shove and you you sued them, they would have to back down. A lot of archaeology is basically done because we want to do good archaeology. I fully agree with what you were just saying, Doug, that this thing really does, uh, you know, continue and, and keep itself alive because there's a lot of folks who really do care about archaeology. And that's why things aren't just absolute trash at every single place, because the folks that are doing it, they really want to do archaeology. I, I saw a thing online, you know, we've been talking this podcast for a long time. And um, like my advice to folks who want to do archaeology is don't consider this your only career. You're going to do this until you decide to do something different. And we've even interviewed people who switched careers. But I saw, uh, you know, a a thing uh, online, someone talking to a couple of folks who did leave archaeology and how they were saying, yeah, they have something that, you know, pays the bills and gives them benefit, but they really miss being in the field and doing archaeology. And so I really think the folks who are in here, they care about it. And, you know, we're really putting in more than just, you know, money and effort into this. This is our dream. Like this is we're putting a lot of, you know, energy that we really care about that you don't always find in all careers. And that's the only thing that keeps it from being, you know, Skynet. So there's no way to really calculate. There's no way to quantify that. And you can't capture that in a software. And there's no AI that's going to cover someone who's wanted to be an archaeologist from the time they were seven years old and finally gets to do it. Yeah, You're, you guys are right. Here's what I'm going to say to, to kind of finish out this discussion. Right, guys. I think we need to just look to the future and say, what do we want it to look like? Right. And we need to use these new tools. We need to use, we need to use these new tools. Let me emphasize that part because 
if we don't, it's just going to be like archaeology is always, you know, 15, 20 years behind technologically, right? We need to acknowledge the fact that new things are coming down the line in a way to do things. And again, I'll go back to what I said either in the beginning of segment two, the end of segment one. What is the output? What are we trying to learn here, right? We're, we're trying to learn more about how past societies, you know, thought and behaved, interacted with their environment, you know, what they were, what they were thinking, what they were feeling. We're trying to learn all those sorts of things. And that's really the only thing that we're trying to figure out. Okay. Archaeology is just one tool that helps us do that. But there's all kinds of other things that we use from, you know, geological resources to, you know, other technologies in our, in our excavation and things like that, where we can analyze different facets of the environment from pollen to, you know, different chemicals in the ground and things like that to help us understand how our ancestors and everybody else's ancestors and, and maybe somebody who is just back there uh, and doesn't have any descendants, <laughs> you know, how they interacted with the world. And that's the output. Who cares how we get there? You know what I mean? Who cares if it's, you know, we're, we're entering all this information into a, a machine learning algorithm because it can do it quicker and see all the connections that we can't see and spit something out that we can interpret and see how it looks. I think we'd be foolish not to at least try that sort of technology as it gets better and better and better and see what kind of output it gives us. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to go back. I'm going to say, like, we should be a bit more Amish. And that's to say, like, so everyone sort of thinks of, like, the Amish with the buggies and that they, like, give up all technology. And that's not true. And it depends on different groups and different families and stuff like that. They go through a process where they literally evaluate new technology. So all new technology that comes out, the Amish have actually tried. They try cell phones. They try everything. And they evaluate it on the on the process of does it bring them closer to God or further the, away from God, and I think that's a good approach that people should take with all technology. Is does it bring you closer to what you want to get? And if that's understanding the past, and that's great. Or if it takes you further away, then obviously that's a negative. And I just sure. don't see the way it's designed. So like all those like the the chat and the bard. They are not actually, again, this goes back to they're not artificial intelligence, they're machine learning, and all they're good at is guessing the next word. They're, they're specifically designed, it's how they're engineered, is they basically guess the next word, and they guess it really well so it sounds like human speech, but there's nothing there. So I don't see that being a tool that's going to very much help us, or if it does, it's going to be such a marginal bit that, like, honestly, like... A bigger deal would be like if you're you're gonna lose more money if uh, one of your vehicles breaks down and you can't get out to site for like two days or something. Like that's gonna cost you more to a project than the marginal gains we're gonna get out of these sort of machine learning writing things. And I honestly think the damage it's gonna do is gonna be so much worse. Like the internet right now is kind of a dumpster fire in terms of trying to get a hold of stuff. But man, once all the spammers just basically turn sites into nothing but gibberish right now it's it's nearly impossible to fight pseudo archaeology because there's just so much of that crap out there but that's nothing that's like a a, 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 a drop not, not a pin impossible in the ocean. it's not, not completely it's gonna be, impossible it's be, andrew it's gonna be impossible after this because basically <laughs> no. people are going to create so many sites that like you're Anything on Google, the first 4,000 are going to be that's, just gibberish. That's true. <laughs> and you know what that does? Gives me employment for the next century. 
Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. See, nice. Andrew's taking the jobs of uh, robots. I totally well, the last, thing I, last thing I'd like to say to people who, you know, students who are looking to a robot to write your essay, you're not learning how to write. And the number one thing that employers are looking for is people who know how to write. And if you learn, if you learn how to write with ChatGPT, you better hope that the next company wants you to do the same thing there. Because as we're finding out, it's pretty unlikely the next company is going to have you use ChatGPT and you're instead going to have to use your brain and experience. So if you use the software to get through, yeah, you might make it through college because, I mean, you pay up front for college. Like I get paid either way, whether you learn or not, it doesn't matter. But if you're trying to rely on that tool or crutch or whatever you want to call it to make it through a career where you have to write every day, good luck, my friends. Good luck with that. Okay, well... We're wrapping this up, and I just want to comment one more thing on both what you, Bill, and Doug just said. I don't think any of us are really talking about this being a tool right now, right? It's still, I mean, in the last year, this thing has really exploded, especially ChatGPT. It's really exploded onto the, you know, the the consciousness of the everyday person, right? I mean, they've been working on these kinds of things for a little while now, but it's really just come on so that we are talking about this on the Sierra Mark podcast. But I'm talking about, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, it's going to get better. That's how those things go. It's going to get better. And whether or not we should even use it then is a, is an ethical question that we need to ask ourselves, right? I don't know if the answer to that is yes or not, but we won't know until we get there, you know? I know, Chris. Like, we were supposed to have self-driving cars in 2014, and right. there has been no improvement but- in a decade. Like, like we're, we're assuming that it's going to get better, but it could be alchemy. Like, literally, there is nothing that alchemy is never going to be anything because it can't be anything. (laughs) You're saying that this might be something, but it may never, like, what we're talking about here, the the machine learning on these things, it can't do anything but make up references because that's how it's designed. Like, I'm not, I don't think you're going to see much improvement. Okay, well, that's... That's highly unlikely, right? Because that's not how computers are designed. I mean, computers get better exponentially, and that's just how it is, right? Look at your look at the phone that's in your hand today, or the computer you're sitting in front of, versus the one you had ten years ago, right? They get better, and cars are not a great example either, because cars are not able to evolve because of infrastructure and regulation, not because of a lack of will and technology. I mean, there's plenty of car manufacturers out there right now that can put self-driving cars on on the road but they're not and there are some actually in california but there are not doing that because of the will of the people and regulatory guidelines that are preventing it and then you know different cities not wanting it to happen and the infrastructure not being there for it to actually work has nothing to do with technology right absolutely nothing so well no but that's I don't know. Just with that, that technology hasn't imp- like so also like you've just said computers get better no the transistors we double on transistors every 18 months what's the difference well what's one the is one's a physical what they can do <laughs> The other is actually the algorithm that you put put into it. So you can, like, you you can't you can crunch bigger and bigger mu- numbers, but if you're not crunching those numbers correctly, it doesn't matter. Like 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 you could crunch like, and that's that's the thing with self driving cars is it's not you say it's regulatory, but it's actually the problem is it's the edge cases. And it's always been the edge cases of when sure. something goes wrong, who's responsible for the money. Who's going to pay the insurance? Who's right. going to pay for the, the person who dies? That's regulatory. Um, yes, but it's always been there, and 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 it's never going to disappear. And the self-driving no. cars have never 
they've never got to the point where they're going to be able to overcome that hurdle. Even though you get you get more and more better and better computer chips in the cars, that's not going to affect it because there's physical problems with edge cases that it just can't, it, it'll never be able to understand. And that's the thing with this. Uh, with you know these, what? Is it you just, know what? No, it's not no, this is very it. important. This is very important. While you guys yammer on, I've built a bunker and I've had my daughter do many, many sit-ups. So I am ready for the end times. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, guys. We are way over time on this segment and this podcast, so I'm going to end it right there. But if you're listening to this, I want to hear your thoughts on this. You know, if you're over on Facebook or, or you know, our, our website, actually, you can actually comment on the blog post. Uh, well, they're actually kind of blog posts as far as format goes. But you can comment on the podcast show notes page right at arcpodnet.com forward slash CRM archaeology. Okay. And feel free to email us at any more of our contact information or Twitter or whatever we have listed on the website. Okay. So we want to hear your thoughts and opinions on this and where CRM is going in the future with all this AI and machine learning. Or maybe it's going absolutely nowhere and Doug is right, but I doubt it. All right. <laughs> with that, we'll see you guys later. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.arcpodnet.com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. Chris, Chris, hold on. I need to go chat GTV. I need to put in and have them do my outro for me real quick. If you could just hold on one second. <laughs> oh, my um, God. It's going to tell me how much time I have and how I should do the most perfect outro that will both enjoy Chris and keep a tradition going. I think this is it. You did it. You don't need chat GPT. This is it. Oh, oh my okay. God. In that case, goodbye. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Jesus won't save time. you, Chris. Jesus won't save you from me. <laughs> oh my gosh. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. .com.